Good morning, I'm Darrell Gunter, your host for Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM. Today, we're very honored to have as our in-studio guest, Miss Sarah Miller Caldicott, author of Midnight Lunch, The Four Phases of Team Collaboration Success from Thomas Edison's Lab. Also, she's the great grandies of Thomas Edison. Sarah, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. You know, I'm very excited about our conversation because uh, leadership does involve so much of team collaboration. But before we jump into your, your book, can you share with our audience the highlights of your education, career, and experience? Sure. I went to Wellesley College, which is an all-women's college in the Boston area, and then went on to pursue my MBA at uh, the Tuck School of Business, which is at Dartmouth. I worked for 15 years in industry, starting at the Quaker Oats Company, and uh, worked then at the Helene Curtis organization as well. So overall, spent about 15 years in corporate life, uh, focusing on marketing and brand development. I then went on to uh, start my own business and become a consultant, which is uh, what I'm doing today. And within your own business, describe our, the business that you, that, that, that you currently have and how you help corporations to be, I guess, greater, corp, greater operations. Sure. Uh, the name of my company is The Power Patterns of Innovation, and we work with organizations that want to bring innovation more to the center of their business practices. Innovation is a tremendous area of uh, growth potential and drives opportunity for companies to create new customers, create new products, look at markets differently, and also change their business models. So it's really at the heart of what a lot of organizations are uh, looking at today. You know, something very interesting you said in, in regards to the name of your company, Tower Patterns, and, and I know uh, you probably gave a lot of thought to that. Could you explain to our audience what Power Patterns, what, what you mean by that? Sure. Well, I was thinking about what is it that creates success? What is it that creates momentum? And really, I think what we want to be doing is looking at patterns that create that momentum, patterns that build new types of activities, new types of behavior, so that we're always anticipating, that we're always looking forward, creating new ways of working. So the notion of patterns uh, in the name of my company is really intended to uh, offer that insight. And so when you're, when you're thinking about patterns, you're, you're looking at uh, the previous 12 months to see how the company had performed and how they performed and why they performed. And, and then from that pattern, you determine what needs to be tweaked here or there? Well, some of it has to do with looking back at past achievements and past successes. I think this is part of where we can see certain types of competencies being present. However, part of the work with patterns is to identify areas that may not be currently uh, the, the center of focus, things that actually might be hidden, things that might be under the radar, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, this is really yeah. where collaboration comes into play. Sometimes collaboration uh, is over to the side. It isn't something that we're focused on as leaders or managers, and yet collaboration is really how we often pull out some of the expertise that people have, sometimes even that they didn't know that they had. So this is part of where the patterns idea comes in. There are things that are operative, 
in every company that can be tapped and reshaped in new ways. Mm. Very interesting, very interesting. Um, Let's talk about your book, Midnight Lunch, The Four Phases of Team Collaboration, Success from Thomas Edison's Lab. I I, I love the title, Midnight Lunch. Right. Um, Tell us about the title. What uh, motivated you to use Midnight Lunch? (laughs) Sure. Well, my first book, uh, Innovate Like Edison, came out in 2007. And as part of researching and writing that book, I came upon this notion of a midnight lunch, and it really intrigued me. Midnight lunch is the affectionate slang that Edison's employees gave to impromptu after-hours gatherings. Occasionally, Edison would come back to the laboratory after dinner to check on his experiments. And when he would do that, he would look at uh, his own workstation, but he would also see what other people were working on. At any given time, at about 7 o'clock at night, there'd be a dozen folks there. He would check in with them, see what their experiments were, and he would ask them to exchange notebooks with each other so that each person could read what the other person was doing. So this today is kind of like file sharing, um, So people would look at what other experiments were happening in the lab. Some of them were sound, some of them were electricity, others were about motion. So people were undertaking different types of experiments. What Edison would do is uh, have these exchanges for about two hours or so, and then around 9 o'clock he'd order in food for everyone from a local tavern. So they would eat sandwiches, tell stories, sing songs, and generally just let their hair down. So this was a time for them to get to know each other and uh, kind of talk about things outside of work. Then after a while, they would go back and roll up their sleeves once again, uh, continue their experiments and their dialogue until about midnight. So these exchanges were called midnight lunch, and they really combined social time with work time. Uh, It was a unique kind of flow of conversation. There were no agendas. There was no specific topic that they were going to be discussing. But every single time they held one of these, new ideas emerged. And really, this is a a core form of collaboration that Edison created in his laboratories. And how many people, at, at the height of his operation, how many people did he employ? Well, he had thousands of employees, you know, in, in the U.S. as well as overseas. Uh, with within his uh, two hundred companies, he had manufacturing operations, he had laboratory operations, which is what we think of mostly. In the lab itself, he would have uh, several dozen employees working at the same time. The West Orange Laboratory uh, in New Jersey is really the largest laboratory that Edison established. It was larger than Menlo Park, which he uh, opened in 1876. But uh, as we think about total employee size, it would be uh, in the low hundreds, uh, high 100, low 200s uh, at West Orange. But in his manufacturing operations, that's really where we see the numbers climb. Right, right, right. And the title is, is very interesting and when you talk about the number of hundreds of, of people getting them to, to collaborate, um, when did you first learn of his collaboration techniques that you could uh, put forth into this, this, this great book? Well, uh, when I was starting my research for Innovate Like Edison, uh, I began that process back in 2003. And as I looked at how Edison worked, 
collaboration was a very important part of his innovation success. Really, without collaboration, Edison could not have been as prolific an innovator as he was. A lot of times we think of Edison as working alone. Uh, this is sort of part of the, the myth, if you will, of the American inventor. And in fact, Edison always worked with other people, even from his teenage years. So we kind of have to remap our stereotype of Edison as this lone guy. Uh, in fact, he had prototypers. He had people who assisted him in his chemistry activities, uh, many people who assisted in the manufacturing of his products, and people who just helped him experiment, who were working side by side with him, um, sharing ideas, uh, adding insight to the projects he was endeavoring. So this notion of collaboration uh, was very powerful. And uh, particularly, we see Edison using small teams. This is one of the things that fascinated me. Uh, typically, teams ranging anywhere from two to eight people. Uh, many times in corporate life, we, we have big teams, you know, 15 people, 20 people, 30 people, and we wonder why we can't get things done as effectively as we might like. So this is where uh, Edison's view of collaboration can really help us. Wow. Um, I'm, you know, they have this new phrase now called Scrum. Yes. And, and, and Scrum, I guess Edison was doing Scrum way back when. <laughs> he was. He really was doing Scrum way back when. I think Scrum is a, a terrific application. You know, I'm very curious about true collaboration. How do you define true collaboration? Well, true collaboration is the term that I've given to Edison's approach to bringing people together to innovate. True collaboration is really a discovery learning process in which people come together almost as a forum and begin with questions rather than ideas or solutions. This is how Edison approached innovation itself. He began with questions first. So if we think about collaboration, true collaboration, as a process of discovery learning that begins with questions, that's really how we would define true collaboration in its, its most simple form. And so those questions are, does a group leader, uh, such as Mr. Edison, he would start off, okay, here's our objective, and then folks would start to throw out questions. How, would that, how does that work? Well, a lot of times, people would begin with data. They'd begin with their experiments, things that they were looking at, insights that they'd have, exchanging dialogue and conversation. And from those factors, they would begin to derive questions. Often, the questions would also focus on uh, what the needs were, what was the need related to some of the insights that were coming forward. This is part of how Edison became such a practical innovator. He came up with the incandescent electric light, recorded sound, document duplication, the movies. These are things that actually connected in with what customers were interested in buying. So the collaboration process is not so much about throwing spaghetti against the wall and just seeing what sticks. It's about taking the insights, connecting them with needs, and from that point, asking the questions, what, you know, could, what could derive from that? So, in essence, he was solving 
people's everyday everyday needs. And then when he solved that need, it was a uh, hit as it was a success as a product. Right, and this is part of the I think uh, factor of collaboration that moves it beyond teamwork. Oftentimes in teamwork, we sort of laser in and we laser out with our expertise. In collaboration, you stay in a continuous dialogue. There's a continuum and a momentum to it that lasts over time. And this distinguishes it in in the ability to create value, the ability to connect the needs with the insights and the ultimate outcome, the ultimate innovation itself. So Edison was very cognizant of this. He uh, had some challenges earlier in his career. Um, His very first patented invention failed. Uh, It was the electronic vote recorder, and he basically went right from the idea that he had for the product to launching it without doing as much homework as he needed to on what were the needs of his audience, what were some of the other contextual factors that went into uh, the everyday activities of his audience, and he didn't you know, bring those into account when he invented this item. So that first failure is what actually caused him to shift his process and begin asking questions sooner rather than assuming that he knew what the answer was. So this is part of what I think is very valuable for us as executives today. Um, In Midnight Lunch, I talk about uh, creating context and how bringing needs, questions, and insights together is part of what you must have to create context before you solve something. So sometimes we solve too soon. So collaboration is a way for us to kind of uh, mitigate that problem and give us the chance to actually connect the dots all the way out to the user's experience, what they're really going to value most. And, 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 and when is the right time that you know that you have gone through an exhaustive Q&A with the, the, the team and, and sure. now it, it, it's time to, to move uh, to action because you know as, as you know sometimes you know some discussions can go on and on yes. and on and then you get the analysis by paralysis and you got you got one group of folks who are just are just ready ready to go but the other group of folks say no no we, we need more data we need more data part of what organizations can do is to think about offering their insights, exchanging insights, and moving toward a question which brings together a couple of very crucial factors. The first is, is the question that the the team is asking a unique question? For example, if you're on a healthcare team and you're doing something related to healthcare, uh, a master question in this case would not be, what will be happening in the healthcare industry five years from now? That is really almost an existential question. It's also not a unique question. It's not a question that that team can directly influence or own. So you want to be putting together questions that actually reflect uniqueness about your organization and things that you can do. Uh, For example, I work with companies and, and offer guidance and facilitation in this process so that they can sort of agree on a particular question that is their master question, the core around which they are going to propel their activity. Um, A couple examples from Edison's time. As he was developing the movies, he asked, how does the eye perceive motion? 
And back in the 1870s, 1880s, that was a unique question. No one else was really thinking about that. Uh, as he was looking at the incandescent electric light, he said, how can I create a small radiating surface? Uh, in, in his time, most lights were like Hollywood spotlights. They were big, huge um, waves of light that would you know, rise up into the air and, and weren't something that the individual eye could, could look at for a long period of time because they were too bright. So his question was, how do I actually make that smaller so that uh, I, I don't get blinded when I look at the light. So these are unique questions, uh, and from these questions flow hypotheses. And this is where I think, you know, in your question, teams can really begin to employ this. Instead of asking, asking, asking questions, find that one master question that you can agree on, and then examine what are the hypotheses that would flow from that. And as you start generating hypotheses, it kind of reverberates back to your master question, and you see if, in fact, the master question is robust. So as Edison was working on the incandescent electric light, he was beginning to ask, uh, excuse me, uh, create hypotheses around uh, other activity. Uh, same with the phonograph. With the phonograph, he said, if I can capture sound waves in a substrate, then I can reproduce the human voice over and over again. So he would develop hypotheses like this until he had, you know, three or four that were very compelling to him, and then he would examine those. So rather than just endlessly asking questions, you want to find one uh, that, that really captures the essence of your thinking that is unique and is something that the team can influence. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here with Miss Sarah Miller Caldecott, the great grandniece of Thomas Edison. And she is the author of the new exciting book, Midnight Lunch, The Four Phases of Team Collaboration, Success from Thomas Edison's Lab. So when we think about this process, how do you work with the management team to inculcate these new processes into their culture because I'm sure as you know every company has its own culture and dynamics and getting everybody on board is sometimes a very very challenging task and and here you're saying to folks hey we're all going to come in we're going to collaborate and we're going to share and we're going and, and we're and we're going to really give of each other and we're not going to compete with each other we're going to compete towards making this objective work to develop this hypothesis and and it seems like this is re requires um a, a, a lot of time but or maybe some retraining i don't know am am i right or, or or wrong on that but 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 how does this work in the framework of 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 of, of, of getting some corporations to really change their mindset and say you know what this is a new process we're going to put this in place. Part of what becomes motivating to get this process in place is organizations do have thorns that they haven't been able to resolve. And these can be challenges related to products. They can be challenges related to customer interaction. 
These can be internal issues, such as simplifying or streamlining a process. It could be in the financial area, the accounting area, uh, document movement, all kinds of things. So one of the first steps is to actually identify uh, some themes where these pain points exist. A second step, then, is to actually bring together up to eight people from diverse areas of the organization. So, for example, if you're trying to reduce the number of steps uh, involved in, let's say, getting an approval for some type of uh, financial transaction, you would want to bring in people who are experts on the transaction itself, but also people who might be in other parts of the organization that are, in fact, customers of that process, people who are actually going to benefit from an improved process so that you aren't keeping your mindset just enclosed to one way of thinking. You want to be able to bring multiple people in from diverse areas of the organization to have these dialogues. A third area that I see a lot of power around the midnight lunch process is the fact that you're beginning from an objective viewpoint by starting with looking at the data that you have, as well as the process of identifying needs and questions. That doesn't really have to do with anyone's particular agenda. It doesn't give weight to any one area of the company. It really is trying to, as Edison did, look at the needs to see where you can drive value and then ask those questions that will open your thinking that will put you into a discovery learning mindset rather than a task mindset. This is where organizations often get tripped up. They are so focused on task, task, task that they aren't always thinking, wow, you know what, I need to step back, I need to examine and look at something from a different angle. And that's what this process does. In my experience, once people have been through uh, the midnight lunch approach, they really see the value in collaboration itself as a process, and they evangelize internally. They actually help create the change uh, within their teams and across multiple teams and areas. This is one of the most extraordinary things I've, I've observed in my professional life. Right. Right. So let's talk about the four phases of team collaboration. I think we might have touched on them, but if you could, for our audience, spell out what those four phases of team collaboration. Sure. The first phase I call capacity. And this is really where you actually begin to build the foundations for collaboration to exist. Part of phase one involves creating colleagues having a feeling of, of trust and respect, having an environment where exchange can take place, uh, that's really uh, a big part of what Edison was doing with these midnight lunches, creating collaboration capacity. The second phase is what I call context. And you heard me mention this term before. This is really when you start diving into some of the questions, you begin examining hypotheses, even making prototypes these can be three-dimensional prototypes. They can be stories, which I call narrative prototypes. They can be digital prototypes, like a movie or something that you capture uh, uh, in, in an audio format. But you want to be getting something tangible, something that reflects the thinking that you're doing and the types of pathways you want to be pursuing for the various solutions you may have in mind. The third phase is coherence. And coherence is really a process of the team examining their purpose. 
why are we doing this? Not just what are we doing, but why? What are some of the ways that we are interacting? How is our interaction uh, creating debate and discussion so that we are examining things from multiple angles? Uh, Coherence is really about sharing a common content. The group, the team has to know what it is that they hold in common that will keep them together. And the fourth phase is complexity. Certainly today, we address tremendous complexity with all of the information we have at hand, uh, the networks that are at our disposal, all kinds of steps and processes that we have to address in corporate life. These can be extremely challenging. As we think about how Edison navigated this, he was developing new technology. He was creating new platforms. These were tremendously complex challenges that he undertook. What he really aimed to do was not to dumb things down, but to actually see where the areas of complexity were and focus on those. Try to streamline places where there were unnecessary steps or uh, unnecessary information that didn't need to be processed by the team. This is one thing that we can do as leaders is to pave the way for the people who are collaborating, the people who are innovating, and give them fewer steps that they have to go through to complete their processes. Sometimes the complexity that we have is manufactured by us. So we need to look carefully at what are some of the external complexity factors and what are the internal ones. Another area where Edison addressed complexity was in how he actually tracked what he was doing. This is an important part of collaboration. I call it footprinting. So going all the way back to phase one, capacity, phase two, context, phase three, coherence, and into phase four, you want to be monitoring and footprinting what you are learning. Where have you discovered new knowledge? What are the pieces that you are seeing in a different way? Uh, How have you created this new context? So Edison did this mostly in drawings. He did this uh, a bit in movies, actually documenting the things he discovered, and in his notebooks. Uh, He did this with his teams. All the team members did the same thing. This is how we can track back and see what he was doing. This is a way that we can apply our digital resources today. Uh, Again, with file sharing, with the digital capability we have on smartphones, on laptops, laptops, through the Internet, and more, uh, identifying those high points, that's the footprinting that you want to be doing. This helps see new patterns. This is where the patterns come in, uh, the complexity phase. So all four phases together really yield a unique uh, form of collaboration. Absolutely. Uh, Sarah, believe it or not, we are we are out of time. But before we go, if you could share with our listeners where they can contact you because you have a great website and I'm sure uh, your, the book can be purchased on Amazon.com. But if you could share with us your, your website link. Sure. My website is www.powerpatterns.com. People can find Midnight Lunch on Amazon and at Barnes & Noble. You can also check the homepage of my website for ways you can download the book. Uh, it's available on Kindle. It's available for uh, the iPad and many other digital formats. So take a look. This is great. And also, uh, we have a big celebration uh, in reg- coming up in regards to Thomas Edison, correct? 
Yes, absolutely. Edison's 167th birthday is February 11th. So there'll be all kinds of uh, activity. I know uh, many of the inventors and innovators who like to celebrate that every year, but um, always something to keep in mind, uh, Edison's birthday. Excellent, excellent. Well, we are here with Ms. Sarah Miller Caldecott, the author of Midnight Lunch, The Four Phases of Team Collaboration Success from Thomas Edison's Lab. Sarah, thank you for coming on the program. Such a pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, that wraps it for this weekend. We want to thank you for, for listening in. This is Darrell Gunter, your host of Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net at Seton Hall University. Listeners, remember, if you've missed this program or any other program, please go to iTunes U, look for Seton Hall University and the program Leadership, and you will see our library of our previous shows. Thank you for joining us again. Remember, leadership begins with you. Have a great weekend.